Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Before we get going, a quick shout out to Charles H., the newest member of The Modern Manager community on Patreon. Thank you so much, Charles, for joining, and to all of you who support this podcast. With your membership, each month you get episode guides and guest bonuses to help you implement the learnings and move forward on your journey as a rockstar manager with a thriving team. Now, my guest today is Amy Bourne. Amy has spent most of her professional career in the field of organizational development and organizational psychology. She's worked at consulting firms and roles internal to organizations, and she currently spends a lot of time thinking about workplace culture and supporting organizations on their quest to become even better places to work. Amy and I talk about how to be a manager and a coach to your team members, when using a coaching approach is appropriate and when it's not, how to hold yourself and others accountable, and the importance of thoughtful communication. Now here's my interview with Amy. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amy. I have been looking forward to this conversation for what feels like weeks at this point. Me too. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So today, there's a lot we could talk about, but I want to at least start on this topic of being a manager and being a coach. Part of what I do in my work is coach people and work with people who are trying to improve their management skills. And they, in turn, need to be coaches to their team members. And that's not always easy to do. So I know you've done some coaching work in the past. Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the strategies and approaches that managers can apply to being a good coach with their direct reports. Sure. I love this question. I think that it is great to be a manager who uses the coaching style of leadership as much as you possibly can. I think that it's not always the right tool to use, but it is often the right tool to use when you're managing people. So I wanted to share with you, I work with an organization. I've worked with them for about 10 years, very large organization. And we have worked around getting their managers to feel more like coaches in their day-to-day management. And what I have found so interesting is how hard it is for people to shift out of the role of being a manager who tells people what to do into being a manager who coaches people and encourages them to come to their own answers. So I do a workshop where I'll have six people in a room and they each practice coaching and they have a sheet in front of them that says things like, ask a lot of questions, don't give the answers right away, be supportive, be encouraging. And we go through six people and usually it's all six people who still give the answers, respond exactly to the questions that that they're asked rather than turning the questions around and starting to coach their people. So it is just a hard habit to break. And then once they do it, what I hear is people come back and they say, Amy, finally, I got it. And I was able to, you know, someone came to me with a pressing question. And instead of giving them what I would have done or what I have done, I said, what are your thoughts about this? Or how do you think you could handle this? Or do you have any thoughts before I tell you what I think? And then the people really come to their own answers and they stop coming to their manager for everyday kinds of questions because they feel empowered to answer them themselves. 
I love that turning questions around on people. I do that all of the time. And it is so insightful. You really get to hear and see how much thought the other person has put into it. And at least for me, I feel like a huge weight is lifted off my shoulders when I don't have to provide the answer, when instead I can let them kick us off. And sometimes they already have the answer. And then my job is really easy. It's just to encourage, right? Yes, I love that. I often say to people when we're practicing this new skill of coaching that they're working too hard because I can see that people are constantly trying to come up with very long, detailed questions or long answers. And as a coach, you don't have to work that hard. I always encourage people to speak about 20% of the time and have the other person speak about 80% of the time because you're really learning when you're speaking and coming to the answer and coming to a solution yourself. Oh, that's nice. So you said that coaching isn't always the right approach for a manager. Can you say more about that? Yes. I think it's important for managers to have a number of leadership styles in their tool belt. And the best managers that I've worked with and that I have been managed by are able to seamlessly switch between different modes and styles of leadership depending on the situation and the person. So certainly there are times when a more directive style of leadership is appropriate when the manager knows exactly how something has to happen and something has to happen fairly immediately, a more direct approach is absolutely fine. I think there are times when people need a bit more of a vision before you can shift into a coaching style. So they need a frame like a container or a sandbox or something that you put in place to give people the parameters in which they are allowed to explore. And that is somewhat of a coaching style, but I call that in my dialect, more of a visionary style. So providing the why and the container for people to do the work inside of. Those are a few styles that I think are also important to complement a coaching style. So what are some of the signals when coaching style is appropriate? So obviously you said with the first approach being more direct, right? If it's urgent, if the answers are really, really clear, if this is just about kind of executing something that needs to get done, that seems pretty obvious. And maybe visioning kind of approaches when there's maybe some ambiguity or there isn't alignment yet between you and the person. But when is coaching kind of the, the appropriate style to go with? I think coaching is a style when someone is pushing at the seams of their growth. So when you know that they have it in them. So they have enough experience at the organization or as a professional to be able to explore one step beyond what, where they have gone before. So to use coaching to help them learn, grow, and expand in incrementally. I think that coaching is great when you have someone who's been on your team for at least a short period of time and has a general sense of what they're doing so that they can guess and make hypotheses around the next steps that would be appropriate for them. Have you seen it when coaching goes wrong, when taking this approach doesn't work so well? Or are there things that managers do that are kind of misapplying that kind of strategy? Yes. I think that when you coach and then remove yourself from the situation without checking in, sometimes people can take your coaching or your questioning in a direction that is very different than you expect or, or hope. And the way to solve for that is another tool is constant check-ins, right? So taking very early and often checks around expectations and progress to make sure that the coaching that you've done is leading someone in the right direction or the direction that you think is right before they get too off course. One of the biggest drawbacks is when you coach someone and they do a lot of hard work and put forth a lot of effort 
and it is 100% the wrong direction or a direction that is not effective. Oh, yeah, that sounds really frustrating. And I've definitely seen that happen, maybe not exactly with the coaching approach, but with the out having that sandbox concept that you mentioned, where you kind of set someone off down a path and they come back and you're like, whoa, this is kind of a silly example. But with an event that someone in my office was planning, where she asked her direct report to start doing some research, and the woman came back and you know, it was it was this tough mix because on the one hand, the direct report didn't have enough information to know what kind of venue to look for, what kind of caterer to look for, you know, how many people were going to be there, what the budget was. She didn't have that information, but she also didn't speak up and ask for it. So she kind of made some assumptions based on past work and started doing a bunch of research. And the woman who was her boss both didn't give her enough information, but also kind of wanted to coach her into or kind of wanted to like let her get that experience of coming up and saying, hey, I'm working on my my plan for this and I, I need some more information and can you help me along? And it just ended up being a, a big mess at the end. Yes. Part of that style of leadership, what I've been taught to call it is pace setting. So a pace setting style of leader is either way too in it, like standing over your shoulder, looking at where you put commas as you type, or completely removes themselves. They think you've totally got this and they are out of touch. And that's when you lose the direction and and exactly what you said. It's people are putting forth a lot of effort and trying really hard and it just doesn't land the right way. Yeah. So if I want to start being more of a coach in my team, you know, I think I have a couple of ideas based on this conversation that I can do. But one thing that might happen is I'm curious about people being resistant. Like if you're seeing that team members are resistant to this kind of change and they are just like, can't you just tell me what to do? Or, you know, why are you asking my opinion on this? Have you ever seen that kind of thing happen? (laughs) Yes, uh, especially when they're not used to it. So anytime someone makes a behavioral change, the people around them are in shock because you're used to someone acting one way and then suddenly they're asking you your opinion. That's They've never done that before. Why are they doing that? What are they trying to get out of me? Right? It's kind of a weird shift. So sometimes I encourage people to say, I'm trying something new because I have seen all of the value that you add. I'm trying something new where I really want to hear more from you. So actually calling out the change in your own behavior as a leader or as a manager can be helpful in getting people on board with the new you. Other times, especially if people are a little bit more intimidated or timid, I will say something like, I have some ideas about this that I'd love to share with you, but first I'd love to hear yours. Or why don't you spend a day and come back to me tomorrow and let me know what solutions you've come up with and I'll do the same. We can brainstorm together. So they feel fully supported and that it's not all on them, but you are really encouraging them to take the lead and to do some thinking about it themselves. Oh, I like that. Especially this idea that why don't you think about it and why don't I think about it? Because I know for some people, especially introverts, I mean, I'm sure they've thought a lot about before they're coming to you. That's often what happens is people mull something over and then they're like, I need help. But the idea that let's both go separately think and come together might be more comfortable because then they're not being put on the spot, right? They're, they have time, they can write out their ideas, they can be prepared to share them and not feel that sense of, oh my gosh, I have to like present what I'm thinking to my boss and what if it doesn't go over well and I don't, I don't really know what I'm going to say yet. Those kinds of, of pressure that can happen in certain situations. Yes, I agree 100% on the introvert front. Also, what I have found is with extroverts, it forces them to be a bit more thoughtful and spend a little bit more time 
being intentional about their solution rather than just the first thing that is top of mind. So I think it can be valuable for both. Oh, that is so important. I'm guilty of that, that extrovert thing of just like, oh, you want my ideas? Here they are. And I don't even know what I'm saying half the time. It just comes out of my mouth. And it's not always the best thinking because I haven't really taken time to reflect on it. And sometimes it's great. And people are like, oh, that's a wonderful idea. And sometimes when I'm done saying it, I'm like, I don't even know if I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) And as as a side effect of that, as a manager, I do this also. Sometimes then we send people down a rabbit hole because we've said this thing that sounded brilliant when we said it. Upon reflection, we've changed our mind, but someone is already working towards making that a reality. So sometimes the side benefit of this approach of both the manager and the direct report, thinking about it for a little while will save a lot of work for everyone. Oh, yes. All right, let's talk about accountability because this is something that comes up over and over and over. I had so many people asking me, how do I hold my team accountable? If I'm giving them more autonomy and I'm letting them have more say in how the work gets done and I'm trying to be more of a coach and not just tell them what to do, but then how do I hold them accountable to those things that they are supposed to do? Yeah, I have a few thoughts about this. One is clarity around expectations and making sure that it is crystal clear what will happen and by when sounds so obvious, but it's really helpful because it enables everyone to hold everyone else accountable. So if something is very clearly due or a decision needs to be made, you as the boss, you don't have to be the one to hold someone accountable if everyone else on the team knows that that's the goal too. I think holding people accountable often comes from the top down and the teams that are incredibly effective and work so well together are the ones who truly hold each other accountable rather than just having it be a top-down initiative. How do I do that? I totally agree. And I tell my teams the same thing, especially (laughs) when we're talking about good collaboration practices, that you can't just expect the boss to be the one who's, you know, throwing the hammer down saying, you two didn't communicate clearly on this, or, you know, you guys aren't being X, Y, or Z behavior that we all agree to. It has to be the team itself that are holding each other accountable. So what does that look like in action? Like, how how do you have that conversation with a colleague when they're not delivering something on time like they should be, or they're not communicating information when you need to know it's in order to do your work? Yeah, I think it's tricky. One, uh, you asked as a colleague, but first as a boss, I think demonstrating how you are holding yourself accountable is really important. So to say, I missed this deadline and I realized the impact that that has on you or on our team is this, and I'm holding myself accountable and please feel free to hold me accountable as well, right? Something like that to really invite that upward holding people accountable posture. With peers, I think the impact is always really important to share. So to say, it looks like you were supposed to get this schedule done, just for example, this schedule done yesterday, I didn't receive it from you. That means that now I have to push my deadline back and this deadline back. By when do you think I can expect it, right? So it is making it about you and the impact that it's having on you rather than directly blaming and feeling like you are coming down hard on one of your colleagues. This is such a good life lesson. Talk, right? (laughs) Just in general, right? Think about the impact it's having on you and what that means and acknowledging to the other person, because you did this behavior or you didn't do this behavior, this is the impact it has on me and you should be aware of that. So much better than the whining 
you didn't do this thing and ah, da, 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 right like that's that's what we don't want right ever nobody wants to be the whiner or the complainer i should say few people want to be the whiner or the complainer in their office but everybody wants to get their work done and not have to work overtime or not have to be reshuffling schedules and priorities but it's not always easy to have a conversation and i just want to go back to what you started with in this topic that if you're the boss if you're the manager you have to hold yourself accountable and role model to your team and acknowledge when you've been the one who's dropped the ball or you haven't followed that that expectation that you all agree to because no one else is going to hold you accountable if you're not holding yourself right that's the hardest of all is to to say up to your boss hey you know we all agreed that we were going to share you know our completed reports in this folder and you didn't put yours there right that's that's a really hard thing to point out to your boss and so if your boss if you're the boss and you're not holding yourself accountable and acknowledging your own mistakes or your own misses no one else is going to do that for you yes i agree i will say the flip side is i do have colleagues or clients who i've worked with who will say that's a very amy approach right sometimes there needs to be a more direct approach or a bit of a harsher posture that typically is not what I feel is most effective for me, but for some people in their styles, they feel that being much more direct with others when they are not d- delivering works better for them. I have not found that to work for me. Interesting. Okay, I want to shift gears just a little bit because the organization you work for at Leading Edge did some major research on organizations and culture. And it was in the Jewish nonprofit sector. So just to throw that out there, it was particular. But yes. when I read the report, there were a ton of learnings and lessons and takeaways that I thought applied to all teams or all organizations, or at least many. So I'm wondering if you can call out some of the highlights that you think really make sense for kind of any manager or any team or any organization to think about when they're wanting to build that healthy culture. Yeah. So the work that I have done with Leading Edge is fascinating. And I've also done a lot of work outside in in a number of sectors around organizational culture. We haven't found anything too remarkable from one sector to another. So it is mostly applicable across sectors. One of the biggest takeaways is around communication and people wanting more and better communication within their organization. So something that I have been pushing and talking with organizations about is truly treating your employees as a stakeholder group when it comes to communication. Because often organizations spend a lot of time coming up with very clear strategies and spending money on implementing those strategies around how they're going to communicate with their external stakeholders, customers, clients, funders, different stakeholder groups. And yet we often neglect to think about our employees as another stakeholder group. So some of the best organizations I've worked with in the nonprofit and for-profit sector have a person or people who are constantly, or at least partially thinking about internal communications. So every time something happens, what is the best way to communicate this to our employees? What do they need to know? What are the outcomes that are going to impact their work? Ooh, and I can see how you could apply that in a team setting too, that as the manager, you're probably, or not probably many times, we are privy to information that our team isn't. We were in meetings, we get memos, you know, we hear information, we're talking to customers, we're running the business, we see things that are happening kind of inside that the rest of the people don't see on our team. And 
you know, that can sometimes be hard, right? When you have to hold this private information. And also other times it can be hard because you haven't communicated it well or at all. And then it causes challenges for the team who's, you know, misaligned with you on whatever information that is that you're, you haven't shared. Yes. And then there's the risk of over-communicating also. There's a reason why you're the boss and there's a reason why you hold some of that high-level information. So it is figuring out the balance around what you know and what your team needs to know in order to feel like they're included, a full part of the organization, and to have the information that they need to do their work. All right. What's another one of the big takeaways from the research? Another big takeaway is people tend to like their direct boss and their direct team and have more positive feelings about their direct boss and their direct team than they do about the CEO and the organization at large. So this is not surprising. The, The way I like to think about it is people really love their neighborhood and they don't like their city as much sometimes. So they like the people who they spend their day to day time with and they have a harder time understanding and relating to people who are a little bit outside of that inner circle. Oh, I actually ran into this similarly with a company I'm working with right now where this woman said, she's like, I don't feel like I know the people who work in the business. She's like, I've, I spent all my time running the business and doing business development, all these other kinds of things. She's like, but I feel like we've grown so much and now I don't know all the people who work here. What can I do to connect with them? And I imagine now the people who are working in the business, they don't know her either, right? They see her as the CEO and the boss, but they don't have a chance to really have a personal relationship with her or get to know her. So they only see the, the surface side. Yes. For some people and some personalities, it's really important that they feel close or that they feel connected to everyone who works as part of their organization. As a leader, I think it's valuable to think about whether or not it impacts your company that people do not have the close relationships that you might want them to have. So some companies have very different lines of work and they don't need to have people engaging with each other. But the trend that we see is that the more mixing and the more conversations that happen between different parts of an organization or a company, the more effective the company can be. Awesome. Well, we're going to start the wrap up phase here. So, you know, this of course is called the modern manager. So can you tell us about a manager that you've had in your life and what made him or her so fantastic? Yes. I've had some wonderful bosses. So I've been very lucky and have learned a lot from their example. But one of my most favorite bosses, what made her so great is the, she never called it this, but I, the concept of the doorknob question. So when you go to the doctor, people say that they always ask their most intimate or pressing question when the doctor's hand is on the door because they're scared to ask it or they haven't been given the space to ask it. But right before the doctor is about to leave and go to their next patient is when the really important stuff comes up. And what I found her doing is always giving space and time for those, what I call doorknob questions to come up. I never felt rushed when I was meeting with her. I always felt that I had the space and her attention that I could ask whatever I needed to, to get what I needed. Also, she encouraged me to grow a lot and encouraged me to take feedback seriously and then to move on from it, which I really needed to hear. 
Nice. The comment you made about the doorknob questions. So someone recently told me that you shouldn't ask, do you have any questions? You should ask, what questions do you have? With the implication that, of course, they are going to have questions. So give them the space to share those rather than the, do you have any questions, which can sometimes be almost like a too strong, like, I don't expect you to have questions. You shouldn't have any questions because if you have questions, it meant that I was unclear. So I love this. Give space for asking questions and make that part of the conversation. So sounds like a wonderful, wonderful boss. She, She absolutely was. That also circles back to the beginning of our conversation around coaching, which is the open ended question, right? So she was always in this coaching mode of asking, what questions do you have? What more do you need? How can I support you? Rather than do you need anything from me? You know, a yes or no question. I don't think she ever asked a yes or no question. Perfect. All right. If people want to know more about you, about Leading Edge, about your work, where can they find you? Yes. So I don't have a huge social media presence. So the best way to get in touch with me is just to email me at my personal email address, which is my name, amyborn at gmail.com. And if you're interested in learning more about Leading Edge work, the Leading Edge website is leadingedge.org. And that's uh, the organization that focuses on leadership in the Jewish nonprofit space. Thank you so much, Amy. This was wonderful. I feel like I learned some good things, which is always wonderful to learn from your guests. Uh, So thank you again for chatting with me today. Thanks so much. Coaching is so important and helpful. And if you're looking for a coach to help you develop your coaching skills, reach out to me. I love coaching people. It's one of my favorite parts of my job. You can even get a special rate if you join through Patreon, where I've got one of my tiers that includes a monthly one-on-one coaching session. Check it out and learn more at patreon.com slash modernmanager. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash modernmanager. You can also sign up for my weekly newsletter in which I share free mini guides, blog articles, and more at mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.